Appreciate you guys. Children's Church, you can be dismissed. Appreciate those of you in Children's Church serving back there. Thank you very much. Well, it's a joy. It's an honor to come and be able to preach and teach the Word of God this morning. Um, we're going to look at this thought this morning. The title really of my message is very simplistic, but it's how to handle conflict in the church. And uh, this is something uh, I didn't seek necessarily to preach this particular Sunday. I'd actually, as I was praying about it and thinking about it, I, was, I thought I was being led to, to do uh, a message on marriage and those kinds of things. But as I was uh, seeking the Lord's face, God turned my heart and uh, brought me back to this passage of Scripture, or this thought, rather, uh, this morning on how to handle biblically conflict in the body of Christ. And we're going to be all over the map this morning, as I usually am, um, uh, for various reasons, both in the Scripture and in my mind. Um, but I do just want to read to you, to start off, just kind of kickstart this out of the book of James. You don't have to turn there necessarily. But James chapter 4 and verse 1 says this, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Oh, what a church in chaos, right? What a group of people in absolute chaos. We could go to the book of 1 Corinthians and see the same thing. Divisions and separation and war and fighting and everything going on between members of the body of Christ. And it's always usually the same thing. Selfishness, self-centeredness, fleshliness, worldliness. It's usually the same thing that leads us to bicker and fight and war among ourselves. You might be asking the question this morning, is there something going on in the church? Not that I'm aware of, but oftentimes what we try to do in preaching God's Word is, hey, let's offset that possibility. Let's instruct, let's build up, let's encourage before it happens. Preventive maintenance, if you will, is what we're looking at. And so being cautious. Now listen, I come out of a church not our very recent church, but the one prior to that. Just constant chaos and warring and fighting and fleshliness and selfishness and self-centeredness. And all you want to do is just say, can we not all just get along? You know, you want to ask that question. The answer is yes. We can in the Spirit of Christ as long as we're nourishing ourselves in the Word of God, and thinking of others rather than thinking of ourselves, and, and thinking of others greater than the needs of ourselves. And so here in the book of James, just a picture of chaos and calamity in the body of Christ, and where does it come from? The lust of our desires, our want and desire we covet and cannot obtain, and we fight and we war. There's anything that we can do from behind the pulpit. If it can just be preventive maintenance, say, hey, this is how we biblically handle church conflict. If we can rest there and just internalize that truth and say, okay, there's some things that we need to learn about conflict. There's some things that we need to learn so that we can 
not be part of that so that we can be a, a, a church of harmony and unity and oneness for the body and the sake of Christ and for His glory and for His honor. There was a gentleman, he boarded a train and he goes into one compartment and he's sitting there by himself and before long a, a lady walks in and she sits down and before long a, another lady walks in and she sits down across from him. One starts complaining about how it's too hot. And if she continues, if she simply continues to sit in this train, she's going to die of this blasted heat. And so she goes to put the window down. Well, the other lady begins to complain and murmur, Oh, I'm going to die. Bless you. I'm going to die. Got to keep tradition, right? I'm going to die of this cold. If this window stays down any longer, I'm just simply going to die. And so these two ladies kept going back and forth and back and forth between hot and cold and just, oh. And so the train conductor comes up and comes into the room and sees the bickering and the fighting and the warring. And the gentleman sitting there is being patient and quiet. All of a sudden he says, you know what? I know how we can resolve this, sir. How about we just leave it hot here for just a little while and one of the ladies will die and then we'll put the window down and the other one will just die of cold and the problem will be solved. I guess that's one way to fix conflict, right? Just let them have what they want or don't want and they just kill each other off. Now, biblically speaking, that's not how you handle conflict within the body of Christ. But oftentimes, what do we do? We resort to human fleshly intervention and rationalization. This is how we're going to solve the problem. It's never going to solve the problem. Ignoring sometimes conflict does not solve the problem. Handling it in an unbiblical fashion does not resolve the conflict. And so when we refuse to resolve conflict between ourselves and an offending or offended brother, listen to what I said. When we refuse to resolve conflict between ourselves and offending, so you've either been offended or you were the offender, between ourselves and the offending or offended brother, first of all, it always is a result of something that's devilish, something that's satanic. When we refuse to do, when we refuse to resolve the conflict biblically or altogether, it's devilish. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, we learn something about Satan, don't we? We learn that he's called the, the accuser. And what does he do? He accuses the brethren day and night. That's his goal. And he sends out his, his demonic horde into the world. And even in a church service like this, the satanic world can be whispering to your mind, and hey, your brother or your sister is acting or behaving this way, or they're not at church, or they're at church, and they're whispering accusations against your brother and sister in Christ. Oh, did you see how they looked at you? Yeah, that's because they had an eyelash in their eyeball. Okay, you know, or they had to leave out of the church suddenly. That's because they had a runny nose. Sometimes you just got to get out 
of your system, this idea that everybody and everything is against you and having these thoughts in your mind that Satan is going to cause you to accuse your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so be careful of that. So when we refuse to resolve conflict between ourselves and an offending or offended brother, it is always devilish because we have an adversary who is an accuser. Think about Judas in John 13 and verse 2, where he's communicating to the heart and mind of Judas, that is Satan himself, to what? To betray Jesus. He's setting up a plan. He's he's setting up a trap in the heart of Judas. And so we know that Satan will communicate to us and accuse one another against each other. It moves from being devilish to secondly being divisive. It goes from being devilish to secondly being divisive. And so when you don't take proper biblical procedures and how to handle conflict, it ultimately ends up being an issue that creates division within the body of Christ between brothers or groups of people. It always happens that way. I remember one lady in one of our previous churches had an issue with another lady. It wasn't resolved. It would never be resolved in her heart or even the lady of the other heart. And the comment was made, as long as she stays on her side of the church and I stay on my side of the church, we'll be fine. It's not how you resolve conflict. You don't ignore it. You don't leave it. You don't let it fester. One church that we candidated at years ago, the pulpit committee chairman and his wife, he sat up here, she sat back there, and they'd done this for years and years and years because they would not reconcile their differences. They didn't believe in divorce, they didn't get divorced, but they stayed together and she dated a man. Boo! How does that make sense? I'll date somebody, but I won't divorce you because that's unbiblical. But I also won't forgive you, and I won't reconcile with you. Needless to say, we didn't say that church is devilish, it's divisive, but ultimately in the end when it comes to relationships, when you don't handle conflict within the body of Christ, it's destructive. It's absolutely destructive. And this is, in my humble opinion, one of the great things that Satan is going to try to do to destroy a church, is allow conflict to be either resolved or attempted to be resolved in human rationale, or just to be simply ignored. And sometimes, you know, you, you do your best to overlook the faults and errors of other people. But sometimes we've got to move in and handle conflict in a biblical way. Let's look at some truths about conflict. Number one, conflict within the body of Christ, guess what? It's a certainty. It's going to happen. We can't avoid it. It's going to happen. Why? Oh, well, we're yet to be fully redeemed. Ooh, that sounds awful. It's not, when you look at it biblically speaking. There's justification. God declares this in our position with God that we're righteous. Our position in Christ at the point of salvation, we're justified. God justifies us. After that, there's sanctification. There's our maturation in Christ Jesus where we're growing and we're learning and we're changing. And then there's glorification. Glorification has yet to happen. Christ has not returned. And so the full account 
of our salvation hasn't yet come. And so we're still left in this flesh, this sinful, wicked, ungodly, unholy, selfish, self-centered flesh. We're still here dealing with this junk. And so while we're dealing with this, conflict is a certainty. Turn with me to the book of Acts, if you would, for just a moment. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, we see this even in the early church. We see conflict in the early church. And not all conflict is necessarily as a result of sin, okay? But sometimes it happens. Look at verse 1 of Acts chapter 6. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And so, inside the body of Christ, God has set up a way for widows that are widows indeed, okay, that they don't have other sources of income, when they can't be cared for, the church is to care for them. Well, the Hebrews were being cared for, the Hellenists were not, okay? And so this was brought to their attention. Verse 2, then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And so one primary function of the elder in the church or the elders in the church, the pastors in the church, is to be given over to the word of God. And so how do we keep that particular thing in focus? Well, this is the birth of the deacon. Look at verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And so the apostles are saying, hey, listen, you guys amongst yourselves, these are the categories of what we're looking for in a man who is going to be a deacon. Okay? And then we see that the elders are going to point them over this business so that they don't leave their primary purpose in giving themselves over to the word and to prayer so that the deacons can handle some of those lesser things. You saw my eyes there. You understand what I'm saying. Verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So what do we see in this early church? Conflict, don't we? And so conflict was being resolved. At the end of this conflict, what do we see in verse 5? And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Because it was handled in a real biblical way. And because people were receptive of the plan and not self-centered, the problem was resolved, right? Praise the Lord. So we see conflict. We see conflict resolved. Turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, and I want to look at verses 2 and 3. Now, we're oftentimes reminded that the book of Philippians is a book of joy, and you see a lot of things that are really exciting about this local church in the book of Philippians, don't we? But yet, Paul is recognizing there's a little leaven in the church. There's a little something beginning to happen. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2. Please do not make me pronounce these two names. 
I implore these two ladies in the body of Christ to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we have two co-laborers, two ladies that worked with Paul in the ministry. They were close. They were intimate. They are working together alongside for the sake of the gospel. Something has happened between two, these two ladies. We're not fully aware of what it is, but there's some sort of conflict between the two ladies. And Paul is saying, listen, my true companion. Now, who is the true companion? Uh, some authors would say that that's actually his title, his name. Okay, it could be somebody else, but he's communicating to a third party and say, will you please intervene and help these two ladies that are in conflict? Ladies that I worked with in the ministry together, will you help them to resolve the problem? Now, there's no clear understanding in Scripture that this was resolved, but the fact is it's never spoken of again. The fact is that they worked with Paul, so there must be a certain level of maturation and uh, maturity in their lives. And so I think it's safe to assume and to conclude that these two ladies, the problem, the conflict was resolved within the body of Christ. And so it just, it took some urging, but the conflict was there and the conflict was resolved. And so it's a beautiful picture of things that we begin to see. Turn with me to Acts, going back to Acts, Acts chapter 15. As we continue to look at this process of the certainty of conflict within the body of Christ. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36. Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas. Okay, now Paul and Barnabas were good pals, weren't they? They were buds in the ministry. Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And so Paul is like, hey, we, we had a missions trip. After this mission, let's go back and let's talk to those people that came to know Christ and let's see how they're doing. Let's see where they're at in Christ. He's excited about this opportunity. In verse 37, Barnabas says, now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in that certain city and had not gone with them to the work. So you begin to see a conflict, don't you? Hey, there's a plan. We want to execute this plan. We want to do this. And so, hey, let's go do this. And so, hey, I want to take John Mark. Uh-uh. Ain't happening. He left us midway. We're not going to do it. Look at verse 39. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. There's conflict, isn't there? There was an idea. There was a plan. There was a purpose. There was a goal. They were both on board with it. One wanted to add this little flavor, this little wrinkle to the plan. The other didn't. Sharp contention. They parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. Contention. 
I would like to suggest that even in this situation between Paul and Barnabas, that the situation was resolved. Let me read for you 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul says, Only Luke is with me, yet Mark, and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. Maybe a change of heart there. I like what the King James Version says. It says, for he is profitable for me in the ministry. Reconciliation. The problem would seem to be resolved. Even though the problem was between Paul and Barnabas, here, all of a sudden, Paul's attitude towards Mark has changed. All of a sudden, yeah, he, he may have messed up. He left the ministry uh, for a time, got off the mission field, and, and there's been a lot of speculation as to why Paul Mar or John Mark did that. Um, but the fact is, we see here, hey, will you bring Mark to me? Will you bring Mark to me because he is profitable for me in the ministry? Now turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We've looked at some different areas of conflict. Some conflict in the church isn't sinful. Some perhaps sinful as we look at the contention between Paul and Barnabas. Difference of opinion there, a separation, a restoration. Now here clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're dealing with sin. Verse 1, it says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you, for I indeed as absent from the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And so we see in the church, the church was tolerating sin. They weren't doing anything with it. It began to create an issue within the body of Christ. Now, was this resolved? I think so. We won't go there for the sake of time this morning, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we see Paul talking about somebody that, hey, your pressure, your hand upon the one who has been turned over to Satan for a time, you've exercised church discipline, relax it. Be forgiving, be humble. And so even the one that was sinning within the body of Christ, it seems now that that situation has been resolved. And so we see the certainty of conflict within the body of Christ. Sometimes it's sinful, sometimes it's not. But it's a guarantee in the body of Christ. You can't stick your head in the sand. Now, see, I couldn't say that when we were in Rocky Mountain because we had clay. But we can say that here. You can't stick your head in the sand and just hope that it'll go away and it'll resolve itself. Sometimes it requires intervention of a third party. Sometimes it requires humility and acceptance of, hey, I didn't get everything I wanted, but I'm willing to compromise. Sometimes it's, hey, we, we got to deal with a sinning brother or sister in Christ and it needs to be done biblically and above reproach. So one thing that we learn about conflict is the certainty. The second thing is this, it is usually carnal. 
Usually, conflict within the body of Christ is simply just our human fleshly carnality. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's read together verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3. And I, brethren, and when I, I'm speaking of carnality, we see oftentimes the Scripture speaks of carnality of somebody that's unsaved. And then there are times when we speak of carnality, and it's in the context of a brother who is acting in the flesh. I believe that we're dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ acting in the flesh in chapter 3 and verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal as to babes in Christ, I, listen, I've, I've fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you, you aren't able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able. You're still carnal. For there are envy, strife, and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And so Paul is saying, listen, you're carnal. You're fleshly. You're worldly. You're saved, but you're working out of the flesh and selfishness. So much so that Paul says in the latter part of verse 3, you're behaving like mere men. In other words, you act just like the unsaved. You're acting like those that have never been redeemed. Let's look at some of these words quickly here as we look at this. The word. Envying means to have contentious rivalry, to be jealous. One way you could say it is it's a severe form of selfishness. When there is conflict within the body of Christ, it's typically as a result of our personal carnality. And it's a severe form of selfishness. Secondly, we see the word strife. It's quarrel. And fightings. And so, when there, if you see this, it's kind of like a building block, and it? it starts off with internal selfishness, and then it results with, with action of strife um, between a brother or sister in Christ. And so, there's, there's an action. So, that, that selfishness turns into something where there's now quarrel, quarreling, and fighting. And then it ends up in what it says in verse 3 division to stand apart. And so we've got to be on guard for this, don't we? We've got to be on guard for this. So things that we can know about conflict, number one, it is a certainty. Number two, it is usually carnal. It is usually carnal. Well, that brings me to my third point this morning, and that is this. Conflict within the body of Christ is correctable. It's correctable if it's done right. And that's the great beauty of this. Matter of fact, I kind of look at it this way. Because we live in the flesh, we're still in the flesh. We don't live for the flesh, but we're still in the flesh. Conflict is a certainty. It's going to happen. And when conflict can be corrected within the body of Christ, it's kind of like a broken bone. When it mends... It's healed even stronger than it was before. I have, and I've learned this through the years that, that we've left one of our previous ministries, a real issue with trust. Well, if I speak to such and such, they've offended me, or they did something that was offensive, it's kind of the same thing. 
They did something that was offensive. If I go to them, will they hear me? And instantly, nah, don't go, don't talk to them, don't communicate to them because they're going to bite your head off, they're going to turn the situation around on you, and they're not going to reconcile because that's what we have seen for years and years and years and years. And you develop this hardness in this area of, I just don't trust them. Sometimes you just have to go out there and say, you know what, it's not about me and my power and my strength. It's about God being in this situation that God can soften their heart and God can soften my heart and we can communicate one to another and correct the conflict. And then trust begins to develop all of them so that you can trust people once again. Trust that, hey, listen, uh, what you did was offensive to me or I was offended by that or that. And you go to the individual. Now, how do we go to an individual? How do we open that platform of communication with somebody that we've either offended, okay, we've offended them, or we've been offended by them as a result of personal selfishness or a result of sin within the body of Christ? The question is, how do I go to that individual? Well, first of all, I think it needs to be bathed in prayer. That's one of those, duh, right, moments. But it's one of those things that oftentimes we don't do because we have it in our mind. I'm going to go to this individual and I'm just going to give them a piece of my mind. Trust me, most people don't want a piece of your mind. Okay? They don't want to hear it, nor do they want to eat it. Okay? So you go to them prayerfully. You go to them, before you go to them, you seek the Lord. God, should I even be offended at this? You've got to ask that question. Should I even take offense? Is this an area of offense that I can just overlook? And if you just can't, as you've brought up before prayer, okay, so that's your first step. Number one, bathe the situation and the person in prayer. I mean, bathe it. Lord Jesus, help me. That's not being bathing something in prayer, okay? Bathe it in prayer, in serious genuine prayer, asking God to search your heart. Man, we live in a culture and society outside these walls. You can't say or do anything without somebody being offended. That worldliness creeps into the church so that we're offended at every single thing that somebody does. Sometimes we just have to be the bigger person and just overlook it. Sometimes we can't give that to the Lord in prayer. Secondly not only bathing it in prayer, but secondly, we must go in an attitude of humility. Let me take you to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. We must go in an attitude of humility. Brethren, and I want you to understand that when you go to somebody, it doesn't necessarily have to be sin, okay? And so contextually, we're dealing with somebody that's overtaken in a sin here, but the approach is the same nonetheless. Verse 1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, you, you who mature, restore such a one. The word restore there is somebody has a broken bone. They've been overtaken in a sin and they've got a bone that is broken is the picture. And so you're going to 
set that bone. You're going to restore it. And how are you going to do that? In a spirit of gentleness. See, if you'd already come before God in prayer asking God to give you a heart, God, give me a gentle heart. Give me a gentle spirit so that when I approach this situation, okay, I do it with a spirit of humility, a spirit of gentleness. I made a mistake one time, just one. My wife's in here. She's not in here to refute this. Um, one mistake. But when I was a senior pastor, um, an acquaintance of ours had fallen into some drug use. And they were on the field trying to become missionaries. Okay, these were legal drugs, but he got addicted nonetheless. And so he's in the hospital recovering. I was so filled with disappointment and anger towards this person. Here, he's supposed to go out. They were going from church to church to church, preaching Jesus and him crucified. Somewhere along the way, he developed a drug use, and now he's detoxing in the hospital. What are you doing for the cause of Christ? You're ruining and tarnishing the name of Jesus. That was my attitude. I went in there with this purpose and this goal only to attack the person. I was so ticked off at him. I was so angry. And I went in there. I did not exercise Galatians 6 and verse 1. I went in there. You did, and I, man, even when I was going back through and, and, and remembering this message that I prepared years ago, yeah, that's an admission. This is a, a, a replay. Um, it bothers me even to this day how I handled the situation. Because I went in there and I was loud and I was obnoxious and I was rude. There were doctors that were there. I myself did not present Christ well publicly. But I went in there justified that I could do this because he sinned. If I could go back and do it all over again, I would. I can't. You know, it's like when you have a gun and you pull that trigger, there is no taking back where that bullet is going. When you pull this trigger, or what you say and how you do it, you can't take it back. The damage is done. I did not go to my brother to correct him in an attitude of humility. The last thing I heard that he had said about me was that he hated me. I failed miserably. And I have never communicated or spoke to him since then because they've since moved, divorced, and I think they're down in South Carolina somewhere. So while we're in that moment of prayer, we're asking God to give us a spirit of humility. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, not those of you who think. In that moment, I thought I was spiritual. I was mature. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You know, when you have a broken bone, the last thing that you want to do is go in there and just jerk that thing around, do you? I think you want to go in there and gently pull it back into place. Helping your brother, but not making even more damage to the body. Humility. Secondly, there's got to be an attitude of urgency. Turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. 
Certainly we need to pray for it. Certainly we need to pray for it and, and bathe this in prayer. But it's best for us, if we could, to do this as quickly as we can. There must be a sense of urgency. Let me take you to verse 22. Let me just back up a little bit. Matthew 5 and verse 22. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, as a result of this, if you are coming into the temple to bring your gift of worship to the altar, and there, at that moment, you remember that your brother has something against you, you leave that gift there before the altar, and you go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. I would suggest as we look at this passage of Scripture that there was a sense of urgency. This man wanted to come, and he wanted to have formal religion before God. It enters his mind, hey, I've offended my brother. He pauses. Does he wait a week? Well, I can't. You know, can't give my, my gift to God, my sacrifice to God. No, he, he immediately leaves the altar and he goes to his brother and he reconciles. There has to be a sense of urgency. I think secondly, as we look at this particular passage of Scripture, there has to be a sense of a priority. So we're praying over this, right? We're going to have a spirit of humility, a spirit of urgency, a spirit that this is a priority. Look at verse 24 again. He says, leave your gift there before the altar. God doesn't want your worship if you have division between you and a brother or sister in Christ. Don't come to church and sing the songs and have be excited and know that there's a brother that's offended. God's not going to receive that gift. Get your relationships in order Make those things and then come and worship the Lord. And so there's got to be humility. There's got to be a sense of urgency. There has to be a priority. And then fourthly, I would say this, it's got to be done biblically. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. You know where I'm going. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. Things have to be done biblically. If, if we could just work things through the order that's found in Matthew chapter 18, folks, we could resolve a lot of conflict, heartache, pain, and suffering for the body of Christ. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell it on the mountain. Oh, it doesn't say that. Go and put it on Facebook. Ah, oh, darn. Um, go and tell your neighbor. Oh, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Folks, this is a command from Christ. This is not an option. I don't know if your Bible is the red letter, but this is, this is Christ speaking. If your brother sins against you, go. Go. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. Guess what? 
if he hears you, you've gained your brother. It's correctable. Conflict in the body of Christ is correctable if we bathe it in prayer. If there's a spirit of humility, if there's a sense of urgency and priority, and it's done biblically, it's correctable. If we don't come before God for guidance, if we go in a spirit of arrogance and fleshliness, if we drag it on and on and on, if we go on as though it never happened in the first place, but we share it with everybody else but the person that sinned, it will never be corrected. Matter of fact, what will happen? It will just make the situation worse. It spreads through the body of Christ like a cancer, quickly. And so, folks, we've got to do things in accordance to God's will. If I could, if I could share from you my heart as a pastor, being a senior pastor for over a decade, if I could share that with you, the greatest grievance I have is people not handling conflict the way it should be done. And that's from the pulpit to the pew. It doesn't matter. I've seen some of the ugliest things happen behind other men's pulpits, from the pastor all the way down to the pew. It's ugly. It's satanic. It's selfish. It's self-centered. It's divisive, and it's destructive. If there is conflict between you and a brother and sister in Christ, you have the outline. I just gave it to you. Bathe the situation in prayer. Be humble. Be urgent. Make it a priority. And do it in accordance to God's will. Go to your brother. And if he won't hear you, verse 16, but if he will not hear, Take with you one or two or more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Is that because Jesus is saying, be a rascal. Just go and get what you want and beat the man up over and over. No, he's saying genuine attitude is I want this resolved. I want to reconcile with my brother. I want there to be harmony between me and my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the heart desire and motive for this. Nothing less than that is not honoring to God. Acts 6 and verse 5 was resolved. Acts 15 was resolved. Philippians 4 was resolved. 1 Corinthians 5 was resolved because it was handled biblically. Let's take a moment this morning. Uh, Randall's going to come in just a moment. I encourage you. You have a name in your mind where you know that conflict is, and you know that it has not been resolved. Will you take some time this morning, right here in this place, and just pray, starting with yourself? God, will you search my heart, see if there's any wicked way? Am, am I partly guilty of this situation? Are my motives correct? Am I seeing this the way that I am seeing it? And just ask God to search your heart. And then 
earnestly pray for the situation in the person. Pray that they'll be receptive if you feel the sense that you need to go. Pray that. And then pray that God would give you an act, an attitude of humility, graciousness, gentleness. Be willing. Here's, here's a big one. Be willing to listen to their explanation and give them what? The benefit of the doubt. Oh, my goodness. Brother, you've offended me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Your explanation and your attitude, I don't believe it. That's not going to help. Sometimes you just have to leave it with the Lord. And hey, you know what? If they're lying to you, you've done what you can do. If they're unwilling to resolve the problem, you've done what you can do to resolve the problem and leave them with the Lord and pray for them. Pray for them. Let's think about that this morning. Pray for yourself. Pray for the individual. Pray over the conflict. If God is leading you to go and communicate to them, do it in a spirit of humility. Do it quickly, the priority, and make sure it's done in accordance to Matthew 18. You go to them alone, privately, and handle the situation. And maybe the situation can be resolved even this morning and today, within the next week, bringing about great harmony in the body of Christ. I'm going to pray, and Randall's going to come, and, and Randall, you can just close the service out at that point. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have recognized, obviously, that we are a sinful, weak, frail people. And God, we need encouragement from the Word of God how to handle conflict within the body of Christ. And God, you've given that to us. You've given it to us that we may resolve this conflict, whatever it may be. God, I pray that we'll exercise it in accordance to your will and, and how you have outlined it for us in the Scripture. God, we pray for maybe a person or persons here, even this morning, that have been offended by something somebody has done, or they have offended something, or rather somebody. And my prayer is, God, that, that it would be resolved. And it would be resolved, Lord, for the sake of hum, uh, um, harmony within the body of Christ, but, but more importantly, it's resolved for your glory. It's resolved because you can take two warring parties and bring peace to those two parties that are in conflict. So God, bless this time together. Bless the time that we pray that we're sincere in everything that we're saying, everything that we're praying, everything that we're doing, God, so that you will be again glorified. And we will ask these things in the only name that we can pray, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand with me. 335. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. 
in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house today, Lord. We thank you for your glory and your grace, Lord, and we thank you for our salvation for each and every one. We thank you so much. We ask that you keep us safe. Bring us back at the next time. And Lord, just help us praise you daily in all we do. In your name we pray. Amen.